Today's episode of the Straight Cash Podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Vikings tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So, download the Game Time app in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Straight Cash Podcast, a rare Tuesday episode for the show. I'm your host, Chad Graff, joined today by Arif Hassan, my colleague on the Minnesota Vikings beat. Arif, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How about you? <laughs> it's it's going okay. I, I survived the trip to New York where I got to goof off with my brother for a little bit. And, uh, and I suppose the same could be said for the Vikings who, you know, I, they've played What's sort of crazy about this weird season now, three games that are kind of, you know, blah games that never really felt out of hand. This one at least was more interesting than I think their previous two wins, in part because of how Kirk Cousins played, which we will certainly get into. Uh, But what what were some of your takeaways right off the bat uh, from their 28 to 10 win over the New York Giants? Sure. Well, it was good to see the offensive line play well. They were playing against a fairly poor defensive front, but, you know, baby steps, I suppose. Uh, and, and I think they even, you know, after you account for that, I think they played above, you know, sort of expectation, especially, you know, in the interior there with Garrett Bradbury and Pat Elfline. Uh, and then, of course, Josh Klein's return was good, too. So I think the offensive line played well. That's great. I thought, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about Kirk Cousins in a second. But to me, the thing that was notable was how quickly, you know, he got rid of the ball on standard dropbacks. You know, I think, you know, his his time in the pocket or whatever those stats are going to end up being pretty long just because of all the play action. But that's kind of my next takeaway is that they were in play action 40% of the time. I find that kind of interesting. More play action in that game than I think any other game they've had. So uh, on offense, that's kind of my takeaway. And then defense, I just think those defensive ends are just incredible this year. They're playing so well. Um, and, you know, it, it helped. You know, the linebackers are playing extremely well, too. It seems to be kind of the best seasons that, you know, those four players are putting together, Everson Griffin, Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, and Daniel Hunter. Yeah, and we'll get more into that, and, and especially Everson and Daniel, but it is amazing just to take a second to think that that was one of the areas not. I think that was an area of concern for the Vikings, but one that at least had a few questions. Is, was Everson going to be able to return? Was Linval going to be able to continue his play? You know, Daniel Hunter obviously set the bar very high and now appears to be uh, even surpassing that, but... Uh, 28 to 10 win. Interesting sort of how they got there. I don't know if I've ever seen a 28 point game in which you had two touchdowns, four field goals and a safety. Uh, Interesting the way in which they got there. But I think especially noteworthy from that game is that entering, it did feel a little bit like this was a game in which, you know, not to be overdramatic, but things really could have derailed in New York playing against a fine, not that great team, but more because of all of the drama that was swirling within the team. Uh, Stefan Diggs skipped Monday's meeting, skipped Wednesday's practice, 
Turns out it's not the first time that he's done that since training camp began. Uh, so plenty of drama going on. They they end up fining him $200,000, which I think some fans have scoffed at, but is worth noting is actually a hefty price, even for um, athletes making millions of dollars. So a $200,000 fine that sets the message. Um, but you know, even with that, or in part because of that, I just thought this was a game that you might really see some blowups on the sidelines, some frustrations with Kirk Cousins if he didn't play well, uh, especially frustrations with Stefan Diggs. I was curious how Adam Thielen would handle it all. Um, but, you know, by and large, this game went exactly as the Vikings could have hoped. And so no, no drama. But what did you just make of the Stefan Diggs situation, Arif, and, and how everything was handled? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think primarily this is a, a fairly decent demonstration that that Diggs's concerns are, I think, maybe a little bit more nuanced than you'd uh, expect from like, you know, a, a classical diva wide receiver, right? Like Mike Wallace, for example, you know, he would complain if uh, if, you know, the ball wasn't coming to him in like a, a, a 28 and zero win, right? Like he would always complain if he wasn't getting targets. I think here Diggs's <laughs> primary concern is, in fact, genuinely with winning. But if they're in a loss and he's not used or if he's not utilized, uh, you know, that's when when he gets frustrated because he feels like he can contribute to digging the team uh, out of holes and, 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 and letting them win. And, you know, the fact that, you know, he seemed pretty happy after the game despite only getting four targets, three catches. Yeah, I think that that maybe is a good indication of that. But it also, I think, means that this isn't necessarily over. You know, maybe we've eased some tensions uh, to that end. Um, but, you know, this this might kind of delay uh, the question of whether or not, you know, you can win with Kirk Cousins, whether or not Cousins is using the offense appropriately in situations where they're behind uh, and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, it's a positive sign for sure. I just I don't want to be overly optimistic, a, a fairly easy thing to be cautious about, you know, following the Vikings. Certainly. Very fair. And and we'll, you know, of course, monitor that story and, and see where it goes from here. But worth noting that he was happy, as you mentioned. Uh, there were lots of reporters there, Judy Batista, Josina Anderson, national reporters who, um, you know, wanted to talk to him. And, and you know, I think Stefan Diggs handled it all very well after I do not think his Thursday press conference was handled very well. Uh, did no. a much better time this time, downplayed, you know, the fact that he missed things. It was a little bit noteworthy that when he was asked if he wants to be in Minnesota, he said, yeah, I want to be in Minnesota, and then looked at the camera and winked. Um, <laughs> it is not out of the ordinary for him to wink, but still, you know, felt like a bit of an odd time. Uh, I I don't think that I envisioned myself, now that I think about this, however many years ago, racking up tens of thousands of dollars in student debt in college to be breaking down the wink of a player and what that meant in terms of their trade status. But hey, I was also scrolling through his Instagram page earlier this week to see if he was liking any comments in his defense or anything like that. So it's just been a weird week, um, you know, a, a drama-filled one that I think the Vikings really haven't, they, they've had a ton of drama over the years, but I, I would argue last week uh, was probably the most drama-swirling and, and concerning since Teddy Bridgewater's injury uh, both for very different reasons, but the fact that they came out and played as well as they did, uh, I think was awfully telling. And, you know, just the way that Stefan Diggs sort of celebrated in in his teammates' success. Adam Thielen, seven catches, 132 yards, two, or 130 yards and two touchdowns. What did you see from him, Arif? What, was he 
um, you know, doing his usual things to get open? Was this a product of a good scheme? How did how did he become sort of the factor that I think fans got so used to seeing from him a year ago? Yeah, well, I think it's a combination of things. Like, so obviously he's a very talented receiver that can win one-on-one matchups against you know pretty good cornerbacks, uh, as he's demonstrated in the past. I mean, he demonstrated that even in the losses, right, to Green Bay and Chicago, but. Uh, I think a lot of that also just has to do with the way things were schemed. I mean, he wasn't necessarily the first progression on some of these plays. You know, in the post-game piece I wrote, you know, I, I demonstrated a couple of plays in a conversation about Kirk Cousins where Adam Thielen's, in fact, like the second or third read. Uh, and and the difference there, of course, has to do with the fact that, you know, he's individually talented. He was able to get open where other receivers weren't. But I think that the heavy use of play action created a bunch of space for, for Thielen to win. Um, a lot of times they would kind of move him on routes to the inside on play action. And because, I mean, these Giants linebackers bit so hard on play. I mean, we haven't seen that in any of the games that that we've covered uh, this year so far. Uh, the, the Giants kind of biting that hard on play action was really fascinating to me. And it created all this space in the middle. And, and Thielen running all these in-breaking routes, it just created these easy passing lanes for Cousins. So, you know, that I think played a pretty big role in in, in him getting open. But, you know, there's also, you know, that, that short pass that ends up going for 44 yards because the yards after the catch, that's a lot of that's just individually Thielen doing really well. So I think it's a combination of all of mm-hmm. these things. Cousins, you know, getting the ball out on time, reading the play well, doing what he needs to do, the scheme putting Thielen in a really advantageous position for him to get some extra yards, and then also Thielen just being more talented than the person he's lining up against. I think it's, you know, it's not any one factor in this specific scenario. Right. Let's get a little bit more into the play action, because I think that was one of, you know, the incredibly telling things is that this game against the Giants, I think, is really what the Vikings envisioned at the beginning. They, they obviously knew that they weren't going to be able to throw the ball 10 times a game and have that work out. But this is sort of what the offense was always supposed to look like. It, it had a good running game with Dalvin Cook, another 100 yards on the ground for him the fourth time in five games that he's done that. Um, the screen game got going. The play action, as you mentioned, was, you know, incredibly heavily used. They, they rolled Kirk Cousins out on boots and he got to sort of reset the pocket and mitigate, you know, I think some concerns that they have with the offensive line. That said, it's not like play action has been absent from their offense in the past. It's not like rollouts have been absent from their offense in, in the past. Do you, how do you look at the play action? Is this something where like, Against Green Bay, Kirk Cousins would roll out and the Packers left a defensive end to instead of crash and help out on, you know, the potential of a run there, but instead to go after Kirk Cousins and, and to stay home on that. Um, is this something that you attribute, you know, the the success that Kirk Cousins had, the play action, the boots, all of that stuff? It, it, how much of that was the Giants just not being a very good team, not having great athletes or a great scheme? versus how much of that is something that the Vikings can build off of as they now uh, approach and get ready for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it just has to do with, you know, the Vikings kind of selling play action well. I mean, we know the reputation Cousins has for being excellent in play action. We've talked about it kind of ad nauseum. Um, But, you know, a big part of that also has to do with kind of the offensive line, the way that the Vikings coach, uh, you know, the running game makes it very, very simple to pair with play action because those zone runs will look a lot like, you know, what the offensive linemen want to do on play action. They don't have to get too far downfield to simulate run plays. They don't have to drop into pass sets too early like you often have to do on gap plays. So uh, it, it looks like a run from kind of every element of the play. So that helps a lot. I think also, the, I mean, the Giants just seem really poorly coached. 
you know, it's you know, it, it's difficult to like tell, right? I can't just judge coaching, but the way that they just kind of crashed down and everything, and everybody did, right? I mean, even the safeties were right. were biting hard on play action. You got it, the it linebackers. Was Complete inverse of the Packers game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, the the Giants were just so focused on the run, on stopping, or just so focused on their key. It might not have even been that they were over concerned with the run. They might have just kind of trusted their keys too much and not, you know, checked to see what the quarterback was doing or something. You know, one of the two, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just stunning how out of place they were. Like sometimes on these play action plays, you know. Thielen, for example, you know, he's got one defender near him. That's the defender that's in coverage on him. You know, they're within a yard. Uh, and then no one else is within, like, five yards of him. So if he beats that guy, he's got all the space in the world. Uh, and that's kind of what this play action was doing. It was it was stunning. So I think a lot of this particular game has to do with how poorly coached the Giants were. But I do expect the way that they do their play action and play action in general to continue working going forward, I just think that once you get into those better coach defenses again, once again against the Packers and the Bears week 16, 17, I think, and then I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happens with the Lions who are looking a lot better on defense. Um, when you get to that, I don't know if that same kind of space will be there and how the Vikings will adapt to that. Yeah, almost uh, disappointing that uh, the Lions turn out to be, you know, it seems a, a pretty well-coached team. I think we all had some fun making some jokes about Matt Patricia and the fact that they were practicing outside last year in the snow before all of those games indoors. So uh, plenty to look forward to um, going forward and, and with the Lions game on the horizon. But I did want to go over sort of your three big takeaways from the Vikings win, which of course, you know, anybody can read at theathletic.com. If you haven't subscribed, I'm not sure what you are waiting for, but you can do so uh, at theathletic.com slash straight cash for 40% off. Now that article, Arif, Vikings takeaways, uh, one of your takeaways was that Kirk Cousins, it, you know, I, th- I think everybody knows and can see and has sense that he does well against poor defenses. You not only outline that, yes, that is true. Kirk Cousins does seem to beat poor defenses while we know he has struggled against better teams. He doesn't just beat poor defenses. He puts up almost elite-like stats against a lot of these bad defenses. You noted that three of the teams that the Vikings have played, coincidentally, all three of their wins, Raiders, Giants, Falcons, currently rank 27th, 28th, 31st, respectively, in defensive adjusted net passing yards per attempt. Um, But still, Kirk Cousins has put up, you know, Patrick Mahomes level stats. Of course, not comparing the two, but trying to outline uh, just, you know, how good Kirk Cousins has been against these poor defenses. What was it like as you sort of, you know, looked into seeing just how good Kirk Cousins is in those situations? And and what do we make of this? Right, yeah, it's always one of the kind of interesting things when you you stumble upon like a stat like, oh, you know, he's done really well against these defenses. How good exactly are they? Oh, they're at the bottom of the league. Of course he does well. Wait, this is really good. You know, <laughs> like I want to see what this looks like when I when I put other top like the top quarterbacks in the league against bottom level defenses. How does that compare? Does he compare to that, or or do I should I just expect crazy numbers? And I just haven't seen elite quarterbacks often enough to really get a good context for that. So, you know, I, I took <laughs> the this, this a little bit of a shot. Of a Vikings writer, <laughs> right? Uh, but, uh, oh, well, I just part had of it's also I, there when I heard maybe I just haven't seen great quarterback <laughs> play in a long time. <laughs> 
I mean, part of it's also the Vikings have a good defense, right? So when they do play elite <laughs> quarterbacks, it's not the same scenario. So, you know, a little bit damning with faint praise, I guess. But, you know, I, I looked at the top five statistical quarterbacks from last year. So it's like Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, etc. And I looked at them just against bottom 12 defenses in that statistic, adjusted net yards per attempt, and then also the bottom five defenses and how they statistically perform. And and Cousins beats them like he's better than them against these <laughs> against these defenses. At least this year he's been. Uh, last year we saw kind of the same pattern. It wasn't as exaggerated, but he still was about the level of an elite quarterback playing against these bottom tier defenses. When you account for the fact that they're playing against bottom tier defenses, it's stunning. Uh, and it might just be because he's a little bit of a methodical quarterback that you know he's got all the tools that you want in a quarterback. Maybe he's not quite as fast as you want. Uh, when he's scrambling, but he's got all the tools that you want. He's got great, you know, ability to read pre-snap. He's got, you know, fantastic arm strength. You know, he's got uh, really good accuracy and all that. He's got all those tools. And so when he gets to just employ them without too much harassment, you know, from a confusing coverage or pressure or whatever, he just kind of eviscerates these teams uh, in, in ways that we expect from someone like Drew Brees or Patrick Mahomes, because that's what he does. And that's what he's been doing against Oakland, against Atlanta, and, and, and recently against the Giants. And it's very kind of confusing because there's this weird contrast where he's like really bad against good defenses. Yeah, it's fascinating because it's one of those instances where the numbers sort of back up the eye test where anybody who's watched Kirk Cousins has thought, you know, wow, at some point in time, you see him against a bad defense and you see him make exceptional throws and great reads and you think, man, this guy's got it all. Uh, And then, of course, it, it doesn't come to fruition against better defenses that did get me thinking though one of the questions that we got um in our mailbag that was posted on Tuesday at theathletic.com uh was a question essentially asking about the Giants defense and and the issues that they have there specifically in the secondary and perhaps the Eagles also have issues in the secondary though it is worth noting that Philadelphia's defensive line is much better that question and sort of that whole thought got me wondering What is more important for Kirk Cousins and I suppose this entire Vikings offense? What is more important for their success? Is it going up against a not so good secondary that, you know, they can take advantage of because they have two outstanding wide receivers and Kirk Cousins is very good at making progressions and and can be accurate with the football? Um, Or is it more beneficial for the Vikings if they go against a team with a poor pass rush that doesn't really... um, you know, attack their weakness on the offensive line and and doesn't get after Kirk Cousins like the Chicago Bears did. Uh, Which of those do you think is more beneficial for the Vikings facing a, a bad secondary or a bad defensive line? It's 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 kind of confusing, right? Because you know, I this is I, I think a really good question because the the knock against Cousins is that he's really poor against pressure. So I was looking at games where he was pressured a lot, but he was playing in otherwise poor defense, uh, and he did really well in those games. Really? Huh. So yeah. Um, so uh, you know that that can't be kind of the sole thing. And then the other side of it is like, wh- what happens if you if you take a look at a good secondary and a bad defense? And honestly, that actually hasn't happened too much, which might tell you something about kind of which is more important in the long term in the NFL. Um, But I wouldn't be surprised if it's a combination of factors. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if timing was important. So uh, if if defense is very good at pressing Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, which is admittedly an extremely difficult thing to do, uh, that can disrupt the route timing and and take Cousins off of his progression. I think that that's uh, an element. I think 
how confusing a defense is, and that's a schematic thing. It's not necessarily a talent thing. Uh, you know, plays a role because he relies very much on that pre-snap read, and then his progression just kind of goes through that, confirming that. So I think that's important. And then I think the final element is pressure. I think that that does play a pretty significant role, and specifically when that pressure can kind of get him off his spot. Uh, and so if his first read isn't there and there's the threat of pressure, I think he just breaks down. Uh, and so it's a combination, and, and this is more conjecture. I haven't been able to test it very well. Um, but I think it's a combination of those things where he needs to have the timing intact, he needs to be able to trust his eyes, and he needs to have a, a relatively you know, clean pocket. But if one of those things is taken away, I think he can perform. It's when two or more of those things are kind of in concert together that he really just doesn't really have much of an opportunity to to put up big numbers. Right. A la when he plays the Chicago Bears. Right. Uh, because I have the attention span of a squirrel, I did just get an email uh, from the folks over at Bet Online. That shows the Vikings got a bit of an uptick in the faith uh, of the odds makers in Las Vegas. They go from 33 to 1 favorites to win the Super Bowl last week, uh, or yes, last week to now uh, 25 to 1. Arif, I'm going to list you some of the teams that have a 20 to 1 chance or worse at winning the Super Bowl and get your thoughts on which of these teams uh, you think would be. You know, which of these teams you would take a flyer on or which of these teams you think has the best chance to win a Super Bowl? Uh, That excludes six teams. So the Patriots, Chiefs, Saints, Packers, Eagles, 49ers all have better than 20 to 1 odds. The rest of these teams, I think, are a little more interesting. So I'll give you, say, the six top teams uh, for their chances to win the Super Bowl. And then I want to get your impressions and perhaps a team that you think might be worth taking a flyer on. Teams with 20 to 1 chances to win the Super Bowl. The Baltimore Ravens, Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Rams, Seattle Seahawks, and just behind them at 25 to 1, Panthers, Bears, Texans, Vikings. What are your initial impressions of those teams sort of in the tier that Vegas has below that top tier? And and are any of those um, intriguing to you, perhaps if any of our uh, listeners are heading to Vegas this week? (laughs) Um, I would probably stay away from the Ravens and the Bears. I think the Ravens might be facing a Kirk Cousins problem where when they go up against good teams, they they just don't perform. Uh, you know, uh, my friend Justice <laughs> Mosqueda. Uh, I'm just laughing because I like that that's now become a Kirk Cousins problem. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, accurately so, but here we are not even halfway into his three-year contract, and it's like, well, they've got a Kirk Cousins problem on their hand. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, if you if you adjust their passing performance against um, against their defenses that they've gone up against, it's actually quite poor. So I'd stay away from them. Uh, I don't trust teams where I don't like the quarterback situation, so that that excludes the Bears. I do like the Texans. I think that their defense has a lot more potential than it's shown. I like Deshaun Watson a lot, um, and then I also like the Cowboys who underperformed in primetime, but just generally speaking, have performed really well. Dak had a really hot start to the season. I don't think that's entirely going to go away. Uh, and that defense is still fairly underrated. So those are the two teams I would target. And and the Ravens and the Bears are the two teams I would kind of stay away from. Not the Seahawks. Interesting. Uh, I thought that you might be all over the Seahawks. They went from <laughs> 25 to 1 uh, odds to 20 to 1. I know you uh, like to mix it up with Seahawks Twitter. Russell Wilson, of course, doing his thing. Big win over the Rams. Uh, just curious. I didn't. I didn't hear you say the Seahawks. 
Well, the Seahawks are a pretty good team, and I think Russell Wilson's like a top five quarterback. So it, 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 there's somebody that I, I, I do kind of like a lot, but that defense is really suspect, and they're, of course, in the same division as the Rams. Uh, and so, you know, the, their Super Bowl odds, you know, they'll probably have to play one more game because they'll probably get in as a wild card or something. Uh, you know, from a Super Bowl odds perspective, I just, I don't love them. I, I think that. Uh, from if you were going to power rank them, I would put them above where the Super Bowl odds put them, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, one other thing before we jump over to the Vikings that I want to get into you with, uh, Dak Prescott. You mentioned he has a very hot start. He's still, even after struggling in primetime, the number one quarterback this season, according to ESPN's QBR, which is, of course, the metric that uh, they devised, I think, like five or six years ago now, um, to rate quarterbacks from zero to 100, best to worst, uh, they have Dak Prescott number one this season, 80.6. Now I remember Mitch Trubisky was very highly ranked by QBR last year. And, and it turned out that ESPN probably overvalued, uh, their, the quarterback's ability to run the football. So they made a few adjustments. I don't know if it's a perfect metric. I don't know if anything is a perfect metric, um, to give you a sense of where Kirk Cousins is. He's 28th, 35.5 QBR. What do you make of the stack QBR and, you know, with all of this talk around Dak Prescott, and is he going to be the next quarterback to get paid? Is he going to get 40 million? Is he going to, you know, Kirk Cousins was the next person, you know, this now almost two years ago when he, of course, got his fully guaranteed and and went to get every last dollar that he could. As all this talk is around Dak Prescott, what are your thoughts? Um, has he merited this discussion among the best five in the league? QBR, get, just open floor. Uh, want to hear your thoughts on all of the above. <laughs> sure i don't know um, how to preface that with one question as as i was rambling i just right. floor is yours i'm curious yeah so i actually uh i initially did not like qbr at all when it was initially released but uh after uh seeing other people test it testing it myself to see how predictive it was at you know generating wins and stuff like that you know if you're good at qbr do, does that you know predict wins in the future and stuff like that i it actually is better than almost every statistic that I tested, uh, with the exception of PFF grade, which people like to rag on a lot. But you know, PFF grade for quarterbacks does tend to predict wins in the future a lot better than you know statistics on the field. So then the next is QBR. Then after that, then you get net yards per attempt and adjusted net yards per attempt, and then yards per attempt, and then you get to passer rating, which is one reason I think we probably shouldn't use passer rating. Um, so it's actually pretty good, and you know the criticism of QBR is that it's like a black box. We don't know what goes into it, and so we have a bunch of analytics types that have looked into this. Ben Baldwin, for example, who uh, writes for the Athletic, um, you know, tried to see how much expected points uh, goes into the metric, and it like defines ninety percent of the metric. And for those that are unaware, expected points is simply, you know, they they took a look at kind of the last five to seven years of NFL data looked at how many points on average a team scores from each down and distance and field position. And uh, the difference between where you are one play and where you are the next play is how many added expected points you had. So uh, when you're down at your own one yard line, that's actually an expected point of like negative 1.4 or something like that. You're just not likely to score points. Uh, and you're much more likely to turn over on that drive or even a safety. Um, whereas at the one yard line, your expected points is something like 6.8, right? So um, that's kind of the the spectrum of, of expected points. And of course, it takes into account first down, second down, third down. 
and it's really good at kind of predicting quarterback performance. The only problem is that it overweights things like fumbles, interceptions, you know, low frequency, high magnitude plays. Uh, and Prescott has been pretty good at avoiding those. I suspect he will not be good at avoiding those nearly as well in the future, just because that's kind of how regression works. It's just these low frequency plays, they'll pop up. If you avoid them, that usually is happenstance. Now, if you're someone like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, it turns out you can just consistently avoid them. Uh, and the interceptions they do throw tend not to be their fault. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty good. Uh, I would say that QBR is likely overrating Dak Prescott. I wouldn't say you know he's the top, or I think PFF has him as the third quarterback. I wouldn't say he's either of those things. Um, but I would say that you know his performance thus far has been pretty underrated. It's notable that neither of those kind of adjust for opponent, as you know most stats don't. Uh, and I think that that's helped Prescott. But I think right now he is a pretty underrated quarterback, and he certainly deserves top eight consideration easily. Yeah. Arif mentioned expected points added. It will be no surprise that the top expected points added quarterback is Patrick Mahomes, 41.8, with Deshaun Watson right after him, 37.5. Kirk Cousins, to give you an idea, 7.4, part of the reason that he is 28th in ESPN's QBR. Arif, before we wrap up this episode, I do want to talk about the defense a little bit because they, of course, had another fine performance. And I want to give you, I think, what is a bit of a tough question to answer which is which defensive player had the best game against the Giants? Now, there's a lot of players that you could take into consideration. Danil Hunter had two sacks. Everson Griffin had another big game. Uh, Eric Kendricks quietly is is putting together a very fine season. Anthony Barr played terrific. Um, Just curious, open-ended, who is your defensive player of the game from another fine defensive performance? That is tough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry to re- i'm just uh really giving you the questions do you pay dak prescott who's the best player on defense last game really bringing the heat on this tuesday afternoon uh, yeah it's really phenomenal defensive performances daniel hunter had a great game um you know had a hand in two sacks but also five pressures that's really important he had a number of uh run stops as well that's great i think everson griffin played even better i think he had fewer pressures but he had more of an impact because he was kind of forcing jones uh, to get rid of the ball quickly, and, and just his get-off off the line was just incredible. Uh, he also drew two penalties, caused one, drew two, net plus one, right? Um, that helps a lot. That's even better than a sack. Uh, and then I think I think both linebackers actually did play better than than both pairs of edge rushers, which is, I think, a phenomenal statement because wow. both of those yeah, edge right. rushers played really well. <laughs> uh, um, I would probably give it to Anthony Barr. Um, you know, even if you set the safety aside, I, I feel like, you know, may, I'm not going to say the safety was inevitable. He happened to be the first one there. I think another player would have uh, would have gotten there on that same play if he wasn't the first one there. Um, but, you know, some credit to him for that. But just overall, I think he just had a really phenomenal game. He was uh, kind of all over in terms of, you know, run stops. He was great in coverage. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he just had uh, somebody said it the best game of his career. Um, that would be kind of interesting to go over. Um, he's had some pretty good games throughout his career. Uh, I would say in 2015 he had maybe two better games, but this has been—it's been a while since he's had a game this good, maybe three years. So uh, yeah, he had a really phenomenal game. I'd give it to him. Yeah, that safety was just remarkable because it's not often that you get a safety where it's like 
The guy could have broken one tackle and then another and still probably would have gone down for a safety. Uh, Just incredible there. The Vikings actually put out a tweet, a little bit of uh, one of those behind the scenes where the players are mic'd up and Anthony Barr on the sideline says, man, I I got back there so fast, I probably should have just taken the handoff. Uh, so rather <laughs> remarkable what uh, what happened on that play. And that, that was a terrific line from him. Uh, well, that will do it for us for another, another episode of the Straight Cash Podcast. Before we go, though, we did want to mention another new podcast uh, coming to The Athletic Minnesota. This one straight from the source with Michael Russo. I don't think uh, any fans in Minnesota need much introduction to Michael Russo, but he is our esteemed hockey writer who now has a show, uh, both which you can find wherever you get your podcast, but also where you can get bonus episodes on the athletic app. Uh, he'll be sitting down with various players, front office members, coaches for just casual interview sessions. His very first episode, he actually sat down in Bruce Boudreaux's house, went over the memorabilia that's all over the walls. A really cool episode for what I'm sure will be a very cool podcast. So make sure to subscribe to that. And as always, if you are not doing it already, please subscribe to this, the Straight Cash Podcast. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back with a bonus episode for subscribers only later in the week.